Let's go to God's Word this morning. I want to go to a very rich and familiar passage with you in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And as you're turning there, we're going to begin at verse 14, read about 16 verses there. But the Apostle Paul reminds us in the very first part of chapter 8, and let me kind of just set the foundation there, that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And then he reminds us in verse 5 that we have no obligation to the flesh, that we can walk in the Spirit and have victory over sin in our life. And then the next thing that he reminds us that we're going to look at today is not just no condemnation, not just no obligation, but the next one is no frustration. What is frustration? Frustration is that feeling of being upset. It's that feeling of being annoyed, especially because of the inability to change something or achieve something. And I've spoken to numerous people over the last probably few weeks, and one common theme that I hear from them is I feel so helpless. I want to do something, but what I want to do, what I want to achieve, I just can't do it. I just can't achieve it. And so Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 8. Let's read, start with verse 14. Reading from the NASB, it says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. Then verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we all may also be glorified with him. Then he says, For I consider our reckon." that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed in us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but we ourselves groan, having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? My watch is acting up. I must have said something like Siri, and it always says that. Fix and throw it out. 
in the yard. Somebody can grab it. I've got it on silent. He says, verse 26, now we know, excuse me, now in the same way the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints of God according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Then verse 30, And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. One thing this verse reminds us as we're reading it is simply this. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. See, in this world we live in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of pain, in the midst of agony, it's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get to the point in your life where you want to just throw up your hands and say, that's it. I quit. Is is it really worth it? It's easy to get to that point. But there's some things that Paul reminds us in this text we read that tells us that even though there may be times of frustration for the child of God, he doesn't have to live in a state of frustration when he knows some things. And if you look at this text this morning, the first thing we realize is simply this, that you need to realize in the midst of pain and suffering, the best is always yet to come. Look what he says there in verse 18 of chapter 8. He says, for I consider, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, the apostle Paul, when he's writing this, He is writing this from a personal first-hand experience. He knows what it's like to go through suffering. He knows what it's like to experience pain. He knows what it's like to be in a hopeless situation. Matter of fact, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 27, the apostle Paul is talking about his apostleship. And this is what he's saying about himself. He says, listen, I have been put in prison more often I have been whipped times without number. I have faced death again and again. He says five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. He says three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned for preaching the gospel. He says three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. He says, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. 
He says the next verse, I have faced dangers in the cities. I have faced dangers in the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Then in verse 27, he says, I've been in weariness and toil, enduring many sleepless nights. He says, I have been hungry. I have been thirsty. I have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. God's chosen instrument knew what suffering, knew what pain was, but how did he keep going? Well, if you go back to verse 18, he says, I reckon, I consider, that word, when you look at that word reckon, when you look at the word consider, it really is derived from a calculating. It means I have calculated things. In other words, I have figured it out. I have done the side-by-side comparison. I've weighed all the options. I've weighed the pros and I've weighed the cons. And when I weighed everything out, I can truly say that no matter what I have been through here on this earth, it is nothing compared to what I am going to gain when I see my Savior. And so listen, as a child of God, yes, there's pain, there's suffering, yes, there's injustice, yes, there's calamity, but listen, we always got to remember the best is yet to come. Listen, when we consider all the things we have been through, when we step into the presence of Jesus and see him face to face, it will be worth it all. Amen. As a matter of fact, he would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he said, for momentary light affliction is producing for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What you are going through today, it is light compared to what waits ahead. It's light. And so you got to remember, in the midst of pain, the best is yet to come. The second thing he wants us to remember is this, is we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Look at verse 19. I'm going to read this from New Living Translation because it's just a little easier to understand and grasp. He says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Then he says in verse 20, against its will, look, all creation was subjected to God's curse. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it brought a curse on this world. And it would not be reversed until Jesus Christ creates a new heaven and a new earth. You understand that? See, 
everything on earth is in a constant state of decay because of Adam's sin. But not only that, he says, everyone, all creation, is also in a state of decay. Everyone is in a state of decay. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul would say, and I don't have this up there, but 2 Corinthians 4, 16, he said, our outward man is decaying day by day. See, you can color it, you can tuck it, you can pluck it. You can do all those things you try to to make yourself look young, but you are still in a state of decay. We all are. But not only that, look at verse 23. Not only that, we as believers are in a state of decay. Look, he says, and we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. He says, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. In other words, that word groaning means this. It means a deep inward response to suffering. It is agony so deep that you cannot put it into words. See, when you're saved, you've got a taste of glory. You got a taste of what it's going to be like, but you ain't got the whole thing yet. You understand that? You ain't got the whole thing yet. It's kind of like when, uh, when, when, when your mom would make a meal and you'd want to get a sample, right? And what does a sample, if it's good, what does it make you want? It won't make you want the whole thing, right? Oh, that's good. Can I have another? No, you got to wait for it. I haven't finished it yet. And you know what? As a child of God, we've been given a sample of what's to come. And because we've been given just a taste of it, it makes us long that much more to be released from these old sin, sick, diseased bodies. Every one of us longs and we groan like this. See, Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. He said, but you can take courage because I have overcome the world. And just because you're a child of God doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through pain. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through agony or torment. It does not mean that. See, because when you read God's word, if you just read about the 11 disciples that remain, oh, they'd laugh in your face if you say, listen, oh, if you just got enough faith, you, you, you won't go through that. You will go through suffering. You will go through tribulation. Matter of fact, Acts 14, 22 says, it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And so the apostle Paul says, listen, you got to remember in this world we're living in, the best is yet to come. You also got to remember, we live in a fallen world. That's the reason why some kids die of cancer. 
That's the reason why some of you buried some loved ones. Why? Because we just simply live in a sin-sick world. And listen, it's appointed unto man, every one of us, unless Jesus comes back while we're alive, every single one of us in here is going to go by the way of the grave. We're going to go that way. Why? Because we live in a sin-sick world. We live in a world that's full of agony, that's full of turmoil, that's full of trouble. But then let's look what he says in verse 24 and 25. Even though the best is yet to come, even though we live in a fallen world, guess what? As a child of God, we always have hope. We always have hope. Look what he says, verse 24. He says, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? In other words, listen, in salvation it comes in three stages, okay? The first one is justification. That's when we are forgiven of our sins. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And then after justification comes sanctification. That's what goes on now, becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. But there's a third form of salvation, which we have not received yet, and that is glorification. That's when we get our new bodies. We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't received that part yet. But listen. Even though I haven't received the third installment, I still have hope. And he says in verse 25, If we hope for what we do not see through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. See, this hope that we have, it is not wishful thinking. It is a full assurance that what God has said he's going to do, he is going to do. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews describes the hope like this in Hebrews 6.19. He says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope that is both sure and it is steadfast. In other words, this hope is unfailing. When he says sure, it's safe, it's reliable, it's trustworthy. And when he says it's steadfast, he's saying it is firm, it's enduring, it's certain, and it is sure. Now, I don't want to get off on a tangent. But too many of us, have been putting our hope in men instead of God. Okay? When are we going to learn that only our hope, our only hope is in Jesus? It's in Jesus. And as a child of God, You don't have to walk around fretting. You don't have to walk around stressed out. You don't have to walk around wringing your hands about what's going to happen in this year. Why? Because as a child of God, you always have hope. You can be in the midst of, in, in, in the midst of a foreign land. 
You can be in the midst of captivity as God's people were in the Old Testament and guess what? You can still have hope because you know God is faithful. You know God's word is sure. You know God's word is steadfast. Oh, you may not understand what's going on, but you do know this. God knows what's going on. He declares the end from the beginning and the future is in his hands and it is solid, it is safe, it is secure as a child of God. So Paul says, listen, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world there's sin, there's suffering, there's sickness, there's injustice, there's wickedness. But the best is always yet to come for us. And we still have hope. And right now it's not time for Christians to be putting fear out. It's time for us to put the gospel out and let this world know that no matter what takes place, I have hope. You say, what if this happens? Listen, I've done come to conclusion. My verse for this year is this, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Come on now. I mean, if I live throughout this year and I make it healthy to 2022, Guess what? I'm going to live for Christ Jesus and I'm going to spend my time letting him be known to this lost and dying world. And if I was to go by the grave this year, guess what? Don't you weep for me. You lift your hands up and rejoice because I've gained so much more than anything this world has to offer me. And so he says, as a child of God, we always have hope because our hope is in Jesus it's not in this world. And then look at verse 26 and 27. We don't have to live in frustration because we've got a helper. Look what he says. He says, now in the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, also helps us in our weaknesses. I am weak, but he is strong. I can't, but he can he says, for we do not know how to pray as we should. And I can say, that is right. I don't know how to pray a lot of times. I don't know if I need to pray for this to happen or that to happen. But guess what? Because the future is unknown to me doesn't mean it's unknown to God. And so because I don't know how to pray, and this, what he's doing here, he's just using this as one example. He says, let me give you an example. In your prayer life, there's times you don't know how to pray. He says, but the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then he says, verse 27, he says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Even though I don't know how to pray, guess what? The Holy Spirit 
inside of me. He prays through me. He prays for me with groanings, which cannot even be uh, interpreted. Guess what? Because what is he doing? He is praying according to the will of God. He's praying according to my good. He's praying according to God's glory. And so don't think in these days we're living in that you're helpless because we have a helper in the Holy Spirit that helps us in good times and bad times. He helps us on the mountaintops, but he definitely helps us in the valley low. He's a, the, the, Jesus said this, I will send you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And guess what? In this world I'm living in may be full of trouble. It may be full of trials. It may be full of disappointment, but I am not alone. I've got someone not just simply beside me. I've got someone living on the inside of me that wherever I go, he's there with me. He's my support. He's my helper. He's my defender. And he's my battle partner in this life we're living in. And then Apostle Paul, let's go to verse 30. If you don't mind. Look what he says here. And these, these whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now listen, I'm not, I don't like English. You can probably tell the way I use the English language a lot of times. Don't know much about it. Don't care much about it. But I do know my tenses. And those tenses are past tense. I've been called. I've been justified. I've been glorified. I don't see it right now. I don't see glorification right now. But what is he, what's the point he's making here? I believe he's saying that God declares the end from the beginning. He already knows the end. He's already wrote the end of it. We're just living through it. It's, it's kind of like this. When you read the Old Testament and you begin to read about, around about Exodus, the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus, we see in the end of Genesis where God raises up Joseph to save his people from famine, from disease. But all of a sudden, another Pharaoh arises that did not know Joseph or God's people. And all of a sudden, God's people goes into bondage. Now, as I'm reading that, I've read that numerous times. I know this is going to be an awesome story here. Why? Because I've already seen the end of it. I already know what happens when they go to the Red Sea. I already know what happens when they come up against the giants. I already know what happens when they come to the city. I already know what's going to happen. And so because I'm reading that, knowing what's going to happen in the future, I can rejoice because I say, it don't matter. Pharaoh, you can change your mind all you want, but God's getting his people out. See, right now we're in the middle of the story. We don't see the Red Sea. We don't see the walls of Jericho right now. 
But God already sees everything that's going to happen. And he already knows what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And I know the same God that saved me, that justified me, is the same God that will glorify me. And so let's look at verse 31. Because then Paul asked a question. Because listen, if we remember as a child of God that the best is always yet to come, if we remember that we live in a fallen world that's full of sin, suffering, sickness, and sorrow and pain, if we know as a child of God that we have hope and we also have a helper, then Paul asked this question. What then shall we say to these things? What are these things? It's the pain. It's the suffering. It's the agony. It's the turmoil. It's the tribulation that we go through. It's the trials. What are we going to say to these things? What are you saying right now to your things? Are you saying it's over? Are you saying it's hopeless? Are you saying there's no way out. Are you saying, I might as well give up? Or are you saying this? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is for me, and how do I know he's for me? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us how we know he's for me. Look what he says in verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do you realize if God did not spare Jesus for you, there's nothing that you have need of that he's going to withhold from his children? Listen, me as a father, even though I'm not perfect, even though I'm evil, guess what? If I know how to give good gifts to my children... How much more shall your Father in heaven give good things to those that ask him? The Apostle Paul says, how do I know God is for me? Because he gave me his only son, Jesus Christ, for my sins. Then he says in verse 33, who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is he who died? Yes, rather, who was raised, who is sitting at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. I don't mean to be repetitive, but I guess I'm going to be repetitive. Listen, it's one thing to have your request on the prayer chain. Okay? But there's a greater prayer chain than what we got. Paul's unsaid the Holy Spirit's praying for us. Paul's unsaid Jesus is praying for us. Jesus right now is interceding on our behalf. Then he says in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So in other words, listen, he says, listen, 
There is no condemnation because we're in Christ. There's no obligation. We can walk in the Spirit and walk victorious of our sin. Then he says, listen, there should be no frustration because we know that God is causing all things to work together for good to them who love God who are called according to his purpose. And he says there's no separation. Who's going to separate from the love of Christ? If I go through tribulation, does it mean God doesn't love me? Absolutely not. If I go through distress, does that mean God doesn't love me? Absolutely not. If I go through famine and don't have enough food because all these people in here is going to go buy up all the food because of what's going to be supposedly going on, does that mean God doesn't love me? Nope. Matter of fact, I could probably use a few meals without food. Does it mean that if I go through nakedness, don't have any clothes, does that mean God doesn't love me? No. If I go through peril, does that mean God? No. If I battle the sword, does that mean God doesn't love me? Absolutely not. I got time. I want, I want you to look at this. Acts chapter 12. Now, I ain't got this up there, but I'm going to throw you a curveball just a second. In Acts chapter 12, we read where the apostle Peter is in jail. And let me find it. If, and when you read chapter 12, the apostle Peter's in jail for preaching Jesus, and you know what the church does? The church has a prayer meeting. And you know what happens with Peter? An angel comes and rescues Peter out of prison. Glory be to God. Well, you ever read Acts chapter 12, verse 1? Can you put that up there? Acts 12, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to, church, to the church and ordered to mistreat them. Then he says, verse 2, And he had James, the brother of John, put to death. With a sword. Oh, did James not have faith? I'm asking a question. Did James just not believe? Did James, was, did, did, did he commit some gross sin and all of a sudden now? Absolutely not. Some of us may have to give our life by the sword for Jesus Christ. But that has no bearing on his love for us because he proved his love for us when he died on the cross of Calvary. And so, just because you are sick, just because you go through turmoil doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Let's go back to our verse, verse 36. It says, just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but Lord, he says, verse 37, 38, come on, be playing. He says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't know if you got anything out of this today. But I do know this. We may be in for some dark days, and I'm not predicting we are. But I do know this. As a child of God, the best is yet to come. It's, it's the best is yet to come. And I'm not talking about what's going on here on this earth. I'm talking about spending eternity in that new Jerusalem. I do know this as a child of God. There's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some sickness. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some heartache on this side because we just simply live in a fallen world that is corrupted by sin. But I do know this, even though we live in a corrupted world, as a child of God, we always have hope. And our hope is in Jesus Christ and nothing else. He's the only hope that will not let you down. He's the only one that will see you through. He's the only one that will always be faithful. We have hope. And we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. It's going to help us as we go through these times. And so what are we going to say to these things? God's for me. God is for me. God's going to take care of me if I go by sword, if I go by the grave. God is going to be faithful. He's going to take care of his children. And I celebrate that fact. Can we stand over the house this morning? Can we just read that scripture this morning? I want, to, I want to start with verse 31. I want us to read it. Declare the word of God this morning. Look what the Apostle Paul says. Let's read it aloud. If God is for us, who can be against us? Then verse 30, go ahead. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Then he says this, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Then verse 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Then verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He says, verse 36, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered in verse 37 but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us say it again but through all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us hallelujah we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord and don't forget it don't forget it Let's live like people that's got hope.
Let's live like people that realize we're just strangers passing through. That our hope is in Jesus Christ, in him alone. That he's the solid foundation which, on which we stand and all other ground is sinking sand. Yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we do. But the best is yet to come. Keep your hope in Jesus. You got a helper in the Holy Spirit. And God is for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for our people this morning. Lord, there's people that are hurting, feel helpless. Some even may feel hopeless. But Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you. That we would not fix our eyes on the kingdoms of this world or the things of this world. But we would fix our eyes on you. And keep our hope in you. It's an anchor for us. It is sure. It is steadfast. Lord, I thank you that while we were still yet sinners, you died for us. And Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans. But we have the Holy Spirit of God, that comforter that is helping us every step of the way. And even this year, if some of us have to walk through the valley, the shadow of death, Lord, we know for us to live is Christ and to die. We are gaining that much more. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have hope and a future in you. And it's in Jesus' lovely name we pray. And all God's people say amen. Lift up your head. Redemption's drawing nigh, man. Let's live as salt and light in this world and show the world there's hope in Jesus. Amen.